You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Oh, wow. Pastor Wayne, it's hard to follow that worship. Wow, if you don't feel like you've been in the presence of God already, wake up. Because <laughs> it's, it's there. And I'll tell you, um, I love coming home to Ebenezer. I know that sounds weird. This is our fourth year coming and visiting with you all. Um, greetings from West Virginia. Um, I, I love it when we get a chance to come and talk about what God's doing in the ministry there. But I like it more when, when people share the pulpit. And Pastor Bob has been gracious enough to share the pulpit with me this morning. And, and thank you. And thank you for the hospitality that we've received this weekend. Um, we've had a blast. We brought a different kind of group with us today. We brought youth, which if you've been here the last four years, you realize we didn't have a youth program. This is a three-month-old youth program. Three months old. God's doing mighty things. God is doing mighty things at Living River Chapel. Um, this, this past January, I was praying about this year for our church, and God laid some things on my heart about rebranding our church to make it seem more like who we are. Um, for years, it's where the passion flows freely. And, and that was true, but it didn't quite define us. And, and so this year, in, in prayer time, God laid it on my heart that we needed to really define who we were. And this morning, I'm going to actually preach on that and, and, and share with you what Living River Chapel really is about and actually what the Christian life is all about. And, and it's exciting, and, and hopefully you'll catch on. And like Pastor Bob said, I highly encourage notes. Take notes. I, I send in my outline. It's a basic outline. You'll need to write extra things in the margins, write scriptures in the margins. I'm going to cover a lot of different scriptures. But I want you to feel like you own this too as, as a believer, as a Christian. And if you don't know Christ, guess what? I'm going to introduce you to him today. I'm going to bring you down to a point where you have to make a decision. So if you're uncomfortable in making a decision, then you're probably in the wrong place. Don't get up and leave, please. <laughs> I want you to go ahead and stay comfortable. Listen to what I have to say. Make a decision. Because I know that the room's not filled with Christians. I, I, in fact, I love it that the room's not filled with Christians. Because it gives me an opportunity to present the Jesus Christ that I know personally. What an awesome opportunity it is to, to preach to a, to a church that, that their passions are the same as my passions. Every time we've had a team come up, we've had wonderful times. Kim, right? We've had some wonderful times. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> We're part of each other. We're connected together in the gospel. We work together to spread the gospel message. And it's exciting. I, I love what, what God's done in Ebenezer lately. Um, kind of strange transitions. I love it. Um, I was sharing with, with Pastor Bob yesterday that, that it's exciting, and at the same time, it's kind of different. A lot of the, the staff have changed up, and, and now you've got the two prophets that came in and, to help out. <laughs> 
That's a pastor joke. It's okay to laugh or not laugh. It's okay. But what an awesome addition to the staff. Um, I've had the opportunity to get to know the new staff well already, and you know, we had a great time last night. And, and there was a disturbing thought, though, last night, Pastor Bob, and I'm going to caution you, okay? This is something you need to really take note of. So, Pastor Jeremiah and Pastor Chris, which is our student ministries pastor, they were in line at Moe's together. And, and I'm like, oh boy, here we go, another youth pastor, student pastor um, bromance going on. You know how they are. They all get together. They like the same things. I don't understand it. We're getting older in this game. I don't know. They scared me because they informed me that's the future leadership of the church. <laughs> we have got to tighten our game up. <laughs> so there's your caution. And good luck. I know I have the battles I have, so I know the battles you'll have. But what a blessing. What a blessing to be such a fellowship together. You know, partners in the gospel. This partnership's really been going on almost five years with Living River Chapel in Ebenezer. What a blessing. I remember the first year they came up, and, and we, we had a ministry-type weekend um, they were teaching about evangelism, and, and they stood in front of this really rough-looking building and, and taught us and, and worked with our folks, did a, did a marriage retreat. Did, we, we went out prayer walking. I mean, we, we were hitting the ground running, and what an awesome opportunity that was. And the, uh, so I remember that, and I look at it, and then every trip they've come, and they shared in the vision that we have for our community. And the first VBS, I was telling this story earlier about our floods back then. And that was the first time I saw Kim cry. First time. I've seen her cry a lot since then, so it's okay. But we did a, a VBS, and then we had the great floods in West Virginia. And we had flooding in our area where we couldn't even get people there for the parents' night. We had to cancel it. And, and when that afternoon, we were discussing how we were going to do things, and and, and they're praying about if they could stay an extra day or, or had to go home, and the schedules didn't allow them to stay an extra day, and, and Kim just, just lost it because of the passion, because she wanted to see what God was going to do. So, and I had told Pastor Wayne earlier in the week that I'm not, I, I, I like being, you know, the pastor, but VBS, <laughs> There's like ankle biters and stuff like that around, and I, I'm not really one that, I love VBS. I know that's how kids come to Christ, and that's awesome, but I'm not one that really dives all the way in. I wasn't, <laughs> but Wayne said, you just wait. God, God's going to do something, and, and so guess who closed out VBS? This guy, you know, but just that relationship, and, and then to come back and build more relationships, and the kids know them all, and get excited to see them. What, a, what an awesome partnership we have here. You know, but, it, but it's because of this. It's because of this. It's no other reason would, would a group of people come together, you know, five hours away, six hours away from each other, and go and reach communities if it wasn't for the sake of the gospel. Man, it's powerful. Man. Nehemiah... One of my favorite, favorite characters in the Bible. He, he teaches me a lesson about ministry. He teaches me when he's sitting on the wall and everyone's coming to him with problems because 
unlike your pastor, my folks come to me with problems. I know you got a good job. You got the cushy job, the big church. I get it. No. <laughs> they come to me with problems. And they teach, what Nehemiah teaches is, he looks down and he says, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work for God. And that's what keeps us going in the tough times in ministry. That's what keeps the Christian going in the tough times in life. You can't come down off that, off what God's calling you to do because you're doing a great work for God. Don't settle for the little problems. It's really important. It's really important that we don't ever lose focus on the work we're doing for God. So again, Ebenezer, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was all free. That wasn't even part of the sermon. So just, just sit back and enjoy. What I want to do, I want to start out by asking you a asking you to do something either in your brain, write it down, whatever you need to do. But I asked the church this a couple weeks ago, and I got kind of an interesting reply on my text message one day from one of our older, old, one of our older ladies, very encouraging lady in our church. And I, the question I asked was, what do you want from the sermon? What do you want out of this time that we spend together that we worship God through, through opening the Word of God? What do you want out of it? Because if you don't come expecting something, come, come ready to grab something that God has for you, guess what you'll leave with? Nothing. You'll have a great time relaxing and hearing some mediocre jokes, and, and you, you'll enjoy yourself, and you'll enjoy the worship time, but you'll leave with nothing. When you come into God's house, come expecting. So when, when Pastor Bob gets up here and preaches, ask yourself that. What do I want from the sermon? This is a time of worship. This is not a time of listening to somebody speak. This is, we're in God's presence, and we're worshiping through the spoken word. That's an act of worship. So what do I want from it? It is for you. You need to take something from this. You need something. If you want to live different than you were living, be different than you were doing, or influence people in a different manner, then you need to start applying what you hear here. This is to build you. This is to teach you. We started this weird thing, and I don't know why I did it. I'm still questioning myself. I'm, I'm almost questioning God and why he led us through this. I started preaching systematic theology from the pulpit. Don't ever do that, Bob. I'm just telling you. I'm committed now. For two years, I'm committed to this thing. Love it, actually. But building the, the base of faith, building the foundations, the doctrinal soundness of the Word of God, and teaching people how to grow in it. Man, what a, what a difference. But what are they going to get from it? Well, most people, they'll get about 20% of what we say. If they get 20 and apply it, we'll have a rocking church. We will have a rocking church. And we do have a rocking church, by the way. We, uh, our, our, our folks, <laughs> wow. Okay, open up your Bibles. I know, I say wow a lot. My wife criticizes me for it. But I heard it in the concert last night when uh, the guy for Dare to Share get up, got up and gave the gospel message, and he said wow quite a few times. So I'm in good company. Wow. Amen. You can even say wow instead of amen this morning, and it'd be all right. I'll accept that. I'm sure God understands. So just, 
Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Matthew 22. We're actually going to be in verse 37 through 39. Um, I, I cautioned Pastor Bob because he, there was a typo. It said we were going to start in verse 7. But if I preached on that, we probably wouldn't go home today. If I preached that many scripture out of the main topic, I, we probably wouldn't be able to leave. So it would be fun, but there's, there's a lot of meat in there. Just in 37 through 39, our church talks a lot about loving God and loving others. The greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is as important to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving others. As a Christian, that is our duty. That is our duty is to show love to others. Now, okay, I love my neighbor. Well, do you really love your neighbor? Do you really love them? We, we talked about it. Uh, this is a continuation of our study that we did with the youth or with the team this weekend. And we're going through all of the, the, the applications of our new branding. And I, I said, do you really love your neighbor? Well, does that mean that person in Texas that I don't really like? Yeah. Well, I can't do that. That was one of their comments. I can't do that. This is reality, folks. The neighbor isn't the neighbor next door. Sometimes it is. God taught me a lesson about that. Because I always used to say, it's not the neighbor next door. Well, I had two, uh, a couple that lives next door to me that they don't agree with my political stance. I'll just be nice that way. They're, they're ultra-liberal. ultra and uh, in fact, she used to be the director of the ACLU for the state of West Virginia. Ultra liberal. Hard to deal with people like that for me. Very hard to love them. But you know what? We give each other Christmas cards now. Hmm. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And sometimes it physically is your next door neighbor. So God will teach you. Our branding this year has been and will continue to be, is see Jesus, change by Jesus, and follow Jesus. Now, that sounds simple when you look at it as a, as a generalized statement, but when you break it down, it's a lot harder to practice. It's a lot harder to deal with in our daily lives than just a catchy phrase. Oh, it's, you know, our shirts say it, our, our you know, I've got our logo shirt on today. And it says exactly that. But what's it mean? Unpack it and see what it really means. The three characters, the elements of a of, of person that is being continually transformed by God. Did you know that's a continuing process? We're not just come to salvation and, and just uh, we're good. This is a continuing journey, a continuing process that we deal with in our lives. And these are the three steps. So the first step that we're going to look at, Matthew 27, 37 through 39 says, He said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind, the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. The first step in that is to see Jesus. Our belief as a church, our statement as a church, is we want other people to see Jesus and see the love of Jesus through us. Have you ever gone to lunch on Sunday afternoon after church and seen the miserable Christians? 
Now, people that work in restaurants know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't want to wait on those Christians. I used to work in a coffee shop years ago. Um, man, Sunday afternoons I hated because the grouchy Christians came in and the cheap Christians. You know, you might be one of them. I'm sorry if I step on your toes, but get right with God and you'll tip better. Why are we that way? We're, they know we're going to church. We're the dressed up people on Sunday morning. We're the people talking about, we pray over our food, we're so holy. But we're rotten. We're rotten people. How do we show this love to the community? Our statement says, as we interact with the people in our community, we want them to have a true, a true encounter with Jesus. We want them to see love and grace that he has demonstrated to us being radiated through us. We want our community to see Jesus through us as we demonstrate the love of Jesus, love that Jesus has shown to us through our local events and service opportunities. That's what we believe. Every moment that we're walking around, people should be able to see Jesus in us. And as a corporate body, we want people to see the love of Jesus when they come to our events. We host a back-to-school bash in the fall, and we, have, we give out 125 backpacks to, to kids in our community. We have a bounce house. We have cotton candy. We have snow cones. We have all kinds of crazy stuff. We have clothing we, we give out. But that's not the most important thing that we do. Last time, I walk around the corner, and there's some of our folks praying with somebody else. This person just found out they had cancer, and it didn't look good. So there they are praying with them, showing them the love of Jesus. That's a true reality. That is true love. But what other ways do we do it? Well, Jesus shows us how to do it. And I think there's nobody better to learn from than Jesus. You might disagree, but you're wrong. So the first way is Jesus shows us compassion. Jesus shows us compassion. In Mark 14, 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw the loud, large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed them. He didn't say, What kind of car do you drive? What kind of clothes do you have? How's your relationship with God? He didn't say that. Other translations said he had pity on them. He had compassion and he healed them. That is so strong. We're, we're too busy looking at what people drive or looking how they dress or seeing how they are. You can't do that at our church, folks. You cannot do that. Well, first of all, most of them come in on our van, which, folks, is not glamorous. <laughs> it's a $1,000 van, okay? It's not glamorous. I won't even ride in it. <laughs> I'm a van snob. So you can't do that. You can't look at people like that. We wouldn't have a church. We would not have a church if we looked at people for what they had. Jesus took pity. Jesus took compassion on them. We see it again in, in when, he, when he goes to Lazarus. When Lazarus died, and they said, Jesus, come on, Lazarus is, is really sick. And he said, he said, I'm busy, I'm doing ministry, and that happens. We get busy, we do ministry, we understand that. And, and they said, oh, don't worry about Jesus, he already died. And you know what Jesus did? He wept. 
Have you had things in your life, things in your community, things? Our, our world is a messed up place. Does it bother you? Does it move you with compassion? This moved, this was a friend. <laughs> he just couldn't hold it back anymore. And he wept. I love, I love it that Jesus wept because then when I get in the pulpit and I cry, it's okay. I get, I get bothered by a lot of stuff. I really do. And I don't mind breaking down. I mean, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. Got to love that. There's nothing wrong. Pulpits do that to pastors. It's a humbling experience. An absolute humbling experience. Jesus wept. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. He was worried about their little need. Food. Which, okay, is not so little to some of us. I like food. But Jesus is worried about the smallest need. So when we gather together and we get food together and, or, or clothing and we, we supply for people's need, we're doing exactly what Jesus called us to do. He took compassion for them because, hey, they listened to him preach for three days. If you listened to me preach for three days, I'd have pity on you. See? That's the kind of support I get every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you understand, yeah. Have nothing to eat. So, so, and he said, send them off before they collapse. He knew. But folks, for, they followed him for three days listening to him preach. You think they'd listen to you preach for three days, Bob? No. They followed him, though. You're not Jesus, though. I'm just saying. Now, your wife may think you are, but I doubt it. <laughs> what else? He showed compassion. The next thing that he shows is he shows action. Did you know love is action? Love is a form of action. It's not something that you could just say, honey, I love you, and you're all right. I love my wife, and I really do. We've been married, it'll be, what year is this? It'll be 28 years in May. Now, I've loved her since the moment I set eyes on her. Now, I know, guys. <laughs> Youth, you'll understand that when you get older. Oh, I love her. It's an emotion then. But the longer we've been married, the more I do action to show my love for my wife. Now, I would, which is strange, be willing to take a bullet for my wife. I would. I love her that much. Jesus demonstrated that. We saw that. We see how that, that looks like. We see that in, in, um, throughout the Bible, that the greatest love has no man to lay down his life for a friend. We see that. Love is an action. We, we see that in, in um, the, the demonstration of, of Jesus physically showing action when he went to Lazarus' tomb. He actually went to the tomb. The Bible says he came to the tomb. That means he didn't sit back. You know, Jesus had a lot of power. He had all the power. He could have went and said, Lazarus, arise from where he was at. But Jesus' love had action to it. He went to the tomb. Read that sometime. He 
went to the tomb. It was physical. It was, it was something he really did. It wasn't, I mean, God does so much for us, and he's not right on top of us. I mean, he's with us all the time, but he's not physically right here. Jesus physically went, physically showed the action. So when, when you start hearing Anthony talk about a, a trip to West Virginia or, or Bobby in the back, hi, Bobby, love you, brother. I wish you could be in here, but don't breathe on me. <laughs> when they start talking about opportunities to go to West Virginia, put some action to your love. A lot of you have. A lot of you in this room have. And you know what I notice here with the, with the crowd? Is a lot of these folks have been to West Virginia and are still around. Isn't that awesome? That, that, that shows something. That shows their, their love in action. A lot of you have already stepped up. Not only does it show action, but it shows, Jesus shows us the Father. Oh, wow. Shows us God. John 17, 20 to 21. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. If you have God, if you have Jesus in your heart, we use heart. If, you're, if you've turned your life over to Christ, people need to see God in you. Because you are in Jesus, and Jesus is in God, so you are in God. You have all the power, all the power that Jesus had while he walked the face of this earth, you have. We don't think about it that way. We don't think about it when we get in our car to go to work tomorrow morning. I got the power of Jesus. I got the power of Jesus. We're just hoping our cars start half the time. I got the power of Jesus. You go into work, and the first thing you're looking for is a coffee pot instead of an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with somebody else that you work with that you care about, that you say you care about. I work in a federal prison as my co-vocational job. I've learned that new term, co-vocational. It's kind of weird. I like bivocation. I just got, I'm older now. So in my, in my other job that pays for my ministry, I work in a federal prison. But I don't take that opportunity that I have to share with my coworkers as much as I should. A lot of times I'm just hoping that nobody talks to me at 6 o'clock in the morning. I, I, but I have all the power and they're having all kinds of problems. You got this one getting a divorce and this one seeing somebody and they're married to this person, but they're seeing somebody else. And then you got, you got kids going out and messing up and we've got all this power, but we're too timid to use it. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus showed us a father. Let's show others God. Let's show others Jesus in our lives. Let's stop playing Sunday morning Christian. So he shows us compassion. He shows us action. He shows us the Father. Jesus shows us how to love. You know, without Jesus, we wouldn't be able to love other people. We would be like the world. And I love you if. How many of you 
Don't raise your hands. <laughs> Fell in the da- that trap before. I love you because of what you do for me. That's because in the world, you cannot know love. Because only love that really comes is through Jesus Christ. He shows us the real love. Oh, we can have emotions. We can have butterflies in our stomachs. So you can, like, I, like when I first saw my wife across the room and, and I met her in church. So kids stay in church, you'll meet a good spouse. Okay? You go out away from church and you'll meet a bad spouse. You hear that? Wake up, Living River Youth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got to keep them awake. <laughs> so if you stay in church. So I looked across the church. We went to a church in Sacramento. First Baptist Church, Fair Oaks, and I was sitting towards the back. I had been busy that day helping the, the uh, outreach pastor do some work during Sunday school hour, and so I didn't see my wife, my future wife at the time, right away. But when I got into church, of course, I did like any other college-age kid would do, and I looked down, and I'm like, who's that girl? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's a wow she'll probably appreciate. And I... I didn't have the same love that I have for her now. I had the butterfly love. Well, that's how we get mutual attraction. Because if you marry a pretty girl, guys, if you marry a pretty girl, it's hard to be mad at her. I mean, you can marry an ugly girl. It's okay. But if you marry a pretty girl, it's hard to be mad at them. (laughs) I'm glad you guys are sitting right there. This is awesome. (laughs) And I do at home, I do the same thing. So don't worry. Uh, I Yeah. My mind wanders. I tell my church, you should live a day up in here. You really appreciate things. Uh, I don't know. So he shows us how to love. The ultimate demonstration of love is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I love, loved it yesterday. Pastor Wayne said this verse in Upward. The most, most verse in the Bible. But the most powerful verse. For God loved us in this way. Now, why we were at sinners, he gave his own one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Wow, that's powerful. Loved us that much. And you know how much Jesus loved us? About that much. He was willing to die for you. He was willing to die for you. So if you haven't, if you haven't ever experienced this, this morning you've heard about it. This is the love we're talking about. When we talk about love, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a Savior that was willing to die on a cross for you. And it would have just been you. That is so powerful. So that's what we want others to see in us. As a church, that's what we want others to see in us as Christians, Christ-like, Christ followers, whatever term you want to call it. It boils down to us showing the love of Jesus Christ and letting others see it. And stop playing. If, if you're not out there demonstrating this, this day and age with so much junk going on in our world, I mean, I'm just going to say it. I don't care. When you got laws being 
mandated now where they can murder babies all the way up to even after birth. If you don't start sharing the love of Jesus, something bad's going to happen. It's up to the folks in these churches. And I'll tell you, it's getting less and less folks in these churches. Because as pastors preach the Word of God, people are falling out these doors. Because they don't want to follow the Word of God. They want to follow whatever society says, do, and feel good. They want to follow that. They do not want to follow the Word of God. Churches used to be packed. Absolutely packed. Sunday was a normalcy for people to be in the house of God. Now, it's an optional choice. Now, what used to be a regular attender came every Sunday, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, oh, Monday evening for, out, for, for outreach. You had to be there because if you were part of the church, that's when you went. Church training, 545 on Sunday evening. Every Southern Baptist church knows it. Now, a regular attender comes to worship twice a month. Whew. Sorry. I, I, I don't even know where I'm at. I don't have my notes up here, so I'm following this. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. We, we got a problem. We want people to follow us, but we're playing with Christianity. It's not a toy. This is serious business. And we, we do it. We go home and we sit in our lazy boys and we say, we went to church, we did our duty, we're good for the week, and we won't even open the Word of God in our own home. The Bible calls us not to just open this once a day anyways. When you rise up and when you lay down, talk about the things of God. Talk about them with your children. The most impressive thing I've ever had happen to me in my life, I've had two incidences where I just absolutely lost it, tears. I went over to my daughter's house a couple months ago. And, you know, my daughter's been through her fair share of problems. I love my daughter to death. I walked, <laughs> I walked in there. She wasn't home, but her Bible was open to where she had been studying. She's getting it. She's getting it at a younger age than I got it. She's got two boys that she's raising. Trevor, he can recite scripture better than most people in our church. They're getting it. Then, you know, my wife and I, we do pray together and we do, we, we study together. But the other day I came home uh, from work. And she's sitting on the couch with her Bible open, just reading. Nothing blesses your heart when you're a dad and a husband than when your family is breaking open the Word of God and you're not telling them they have to. They're following the leadership. And men, I'm going to tell you, you may not like it, you're responsible for that. Dads, you belong in the homes. And you belong opening the Word of God. You want your marriage to last? Open this in your house. Man, there's so much mess out there. Way too much mess. All right. Point number two. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm watching the clock. I got till three, right, Bob? Okay. That's what he told me. Three days. I mean, they stayed with Jesus. I mean, come on. 
Give me a chance. Second thing is we're changed by Jesus. Bringing people to the understanding that, that the change that happened in our lives is through Jesus. As, as a response to the love that Christ has shown to us, we recognize our need for a Savior. A person must admit to God that he or she is a sinner, that he or she must be sorry for their sin and turn away from sinning. Ooh, wait. Can I just get saved and I'm okay? Hmm, that's scary too. That, that produces carnal Christians or non-Christians. But we'll go there here in a minute. A person must believe that Jesus is God's son and that God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for sin. A person must confess in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. There's no other way. There's no other way for this life change to happen in you or in your community until they come to the point that they're willing to be changed by Jesus Christ. If we get into that point, if we start showing that, if we start reflecting that to those in our community, we will again pack these places out. It's up to us, though. If we first show Jesus, then we reveal to them how they can be changed by Jesus. Then the end result is they come in and worship God together with us. This is just an accumulation of what we do during the week. If you're bored during church, I bet you didn't get in the Word of God that week. You can go like this if you're ashamed. It's okay. If, if you come to church and you say, oh man, Pastor Wayne's really stuck on that song this week. He, he hums it everywhere he goes. He hums it through the school. He, oh boy, here we go again. Pastor Wayne really loves this song. It's his favorite song, so we're going to sing it for the next six weeks, I can tell. Folks, you haven't prepared yourself for worship. This is an accumulation of what we've done all week. Changed by Jesus. The first thing is we must desire change. We must desire change in our lives. Our community, the folks that we go in and minister to, we have to show them that they need to desire change. They need to, they, they have all kinds of problems. Did you know that? People out in the world have problems. Did you know people in the church have problems? Because you're not letting Jesus continuously work on you. I've stopped worrying so much about junk. I just, I'm a duck. I, I've worked in the federal prison for almost 25 years, folks. Things tend to roll off pretty easy now. Any job you stay in after a while, the little, little things don't get to you anymore. But then the closer you get to the end, right, David? Then they really bug you. Like, how dumb can this job really be? It makes you begin the separation time a little bit easier. But you get to be a, in, in this. As you get changed by Jesus, you can start to get to be a duck. And the little things, the little problems that come your way don't really bother you anymore. We must desire change. We see in Mark 10, 51... Then Jesus answered him, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you, Rabbi? And I? The blind man said, I want to see. He desired change in his life. He desired to have his vision back. He had a, a, a real desire in his life to be changed from his normalcy. Okay, it's easy for us to say, yeah, if I was blind, I do want to see. Folks, 
they're blind outside these walls. If you don't know Jesus, you're blind to what I'm talking about. You're, you're, you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. He's, he's moving all over. He's speaking well. He's doing these things. But I don't get anything he's saying. Well, because you're blind. And I'm going to tell you you're blind if you don't know Jesus Christ. He wanted to see. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that they're blinded. That God of this age has blinded their mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They're blinded. We have to help them. I walked around last night at Winter Jam. Trevor likes to get up and walk around about 100 times in the concourse. I'm tired from that, by the way. But he likes to walk around. So we got up and we walked around a lot. Well, there was a couple there that was blind. And they were walking around and enjoying the music, but in the concourse, because, you know, when you're blind, your hearing's a little more sensitive and stuff, probably hurt their ears. But they were enjoying it, and they were walking around. I'm like, that's really awesome. What a good sermon illustration. <laughs> Pastor's always looking for a sermon illustration. But when we let out, and this mob comes out to go out to the cars, it was unbelievable. They needed somebody to guide them, to get them through safely. This world needs somebody that's willing to go help guide them to get them through this safely. That's your duty. That is your duty. Normalcy does not exist in the Christian life. We have a job to do. And if you get it when you're younger... I guarantee it'll bless you more. I guarantee. I sat there in my Christian life and I didn't understand all that that God asked me to do. And I regret it. I regret that I didn't see this in my life earlier and live the way that God had designed me to live. So we must desire change. The next point, we must stop procrastinating. We must stop procrastinating. We can't sit there and sit back and wait for change to happen. We must do it now. We must jump on in and do it now. The Bible says that an acceptable time, I listened to you and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. When I was a kid, I heard evangelists preach on this. I heard them say, now is the time of salvation. Oh, that was awesome. I didn't get it. I mean, I got it because I was already saved. But I'm like, I didn't get it. As I got a little bit older, I'm not really old yet, so I'm okay. I might have five grandkids, but I'm not really old. They make me feel old. But now that I look at the news, look at our world, talk to the people I work with, see the people in the church that are broken, folks, now, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time. I also used to listen to these preachers say, oh, you better get ready because 
God's getting ready to send Jesus to come get you again. The rapture's getting ready to happen. Well, I'll guarantee this much, you're one day closer. You're one day closer than you were yesterday. Times, times in the Bible are showing that it's a lot closer. Prophecies have been fulfilled. We've got to stop procrastinating. Next point. We must cry out, or we must not worry about what people will say. When I was in high school, I wasn't very popular, and I'm cool with that. But I watched a popular crowd. I had a friend that was part of the popular crowd. She served as the president of the school board, or of the student council. And she was real popular. But she was always worried about what everybody else thought. You know, as a, as a young guy, when I first started working in corrections, I always worried about what other people thought about how I did my job. As a young pastor, I always worried about what people were thinking when I preached. Now I don't care. <laughs> I'm good with it. Why do we do that? Why do we worry about what other people are saying about us? Why? In Mark 10, it talks about when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Many warned him to be quiet. In March, there's going to be a movie coming out. They showed it at Winter Jam, a clip of it last night. About, it's called Unplanned. And how it changed a, a lady that was a director of, of Planned Parenthood. One of the sinners. And as she began to, and I, I've read the story on this already, but as she began to discover what was really going on, she wanted to witness to people in there and get them so they didn't murder their babies. And Planned Parenthood attacked her. And she went home and, and she's all upset about this. And she's taken on one of the most liberal, powerful, private companies in the world. She's not worried about what people are thinking anymore. Folks, when we stand up and march for life, when we stand up, even, even a political rally, and we're voicing our opinions as Christians, stop worrying about what the world thinks. It's time that we start worrying about what Jesus thinks, what God thinks, because we're responsible for that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Stop walking that middle line. I don't want to offend people. Well, it's time we offend with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stop being quiet. Proclaim. You know what's going to happen if we stop worshiping? If we stop proclaiming? The Bible tells us what's going to happen. The rocks will cry out. I thought I heard some of them humming this morning. Hmm. So stop worrying about what people say. The next point, we must cry out to Jesus in faith. Cry out to Jesus in faith. He cried out, all the more have mercy on me, son of God. 
he didn't keep quiet. He cried out loud. We need to start crying out loud. God, forgive us of what we've done to this country. God, forgive us what we've done to these children. Forgive us on every aspect of what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Forgive us. Start crying out loud. Be changed by Jesus. But for all those things to work, we must respond to the call and agree that we need Jesus to be changed. Folks, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. And I'm glad. It would take way too much work to fix the problems I've had. I mess up. So if you mess up, you're not alone. I got a secret. Y'all mess up. I know. I know. Even, even Dr. Bob, as pretty as he is, he messes up. Probably not that often. He looks like a good guy. Probably moment by moment. Yeah, not much. Yeah. Okay. Don't sit so close to him, Debbie. <laughs> we must agree that we need Jesus to be changed. We need to show people this. We need to show them the love. We need to show them that they need to be changed by Jesus. And finally, we need to show them how to follow Jesus. Well, that's easy. I'll bring them to Bible study. It'll be Jeremiah's problem. It'll be Isaiah's problem. Kids can bring you kids and they can let you disciple them. Let you show them how to follow Jesus. No. Bible didn't give you an excuse to take them to your pastors. God gave us each the responsibility to show them how to follow Jesus. To truly follow Jesus means he has become everything to us. Everyone follows something. Friends, popular culture, family, selfish desires, or God. We can only follow one thing at a time. The Bible says you can only have one God. Only one God exists in your life. Choose who you're going to follow. You're going to follow man or you're going to follow God. That's what the Bible says. And I'm not going to apologize for it. If I step on your toes, I step on your toes. Get over it. Wear better shoes next time. But I'm telling you, you can only follow either man or God. You can't serve two masters. God states that we have that we are to have no other gods before him. Nobody takes his place. And if we start living this way, it's going to change everything. There's no such thing as a halfway disciple. Huh. This is all on our website, by the way, the first parts of these. So you can go on there and look at them. As the disciples demonstrate, no one can follow Christ by the strength of his own willpower. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. Nor do I want to. 
I want to be in that communion with God. We, we started out at the beginning of this year talking about the three circles planned by, by Dr. Jimmy Scroggins and how easy it is to, to share the gospel message with people just, just by, by sharing the three circles with them. And we talked about God's design and God's ultimate design was that we fellowship with God just like Adam and Eve where they commune with God daily. They walked and talked with God in the garden and that's what he desires for you and that's what it is to be following God is communing with Him. But first, we must be willing to follow immediately. We talked about it. Stop procrastinating. Well, now you need to be willing to follow immediately. Matthew 4, 18 through 22 says, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they threw down their nets and followed him. I waited a long time before I got in to where God wanted me as a pastor. I'm ashamed of it. I really am. I know why God had me go through what I went through, and I'm good with it, but I'm ashamed that I didn't jump in and do it when God told me to do it the first time. I wasted almost 35 years before I jumped into the ministry the way God called me to, into it. At 15 years old, I made the public profession that I was called into ministry. Well, this is the reality of it. I didn't follow immediately. I'm ashamed of it. Just like he's, will, he's asking you now to follow him now. We must follow immediately. And to drive it home, the second point, we must be willing to follow immediately. Hmm. That's kind of weird. Pastor. Also, we must be willing to give up everything. We must be willing to give up everything. It says in Mark 21, or 14, 21, and 22, go on from there. He saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, and Zebedee their father prepared with Zebedee their father preparing their nets. He called them. Immediately, immediately again, they left their boats and their father to follow him. Folks, when you, when you accept Christ and you start living the way that Christ wants you to live, you're going to lose some friends. You might even lose some family members. You know, we got people in other cultures, the Muslim culture, they lose everything to follow Christ. They run the risk of being stoned to death in their own communities. We have missionaries over there sharing the, the gospel message with them. And these people are desiring change in their lives. There's a story that I was told where they had went to a Muslim country and they had witnessed to this Muslim man. And the, the guy said, yeah, I, I know I need Jesus, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. 
So they were in a coffee shop about six months later, and the young man walks in the door, and he comes over, and he says, I need your help. What do you need our help for? Because I'm ready to accept Jesus, but you got to get me out of here. He left his family, his friends, his job, and they got him out of there so he could follow Jesus. He preaches the gospel now. He follows Jesus. But he was willing to give up everything. He was willing to get uncomfortable, go to a new surrounding, and follow with what Jesus had for him. How many of you are willing? How many of you are willing to jump in and say, I'll follow Jesus wherever he calls me to? Whether it's, it's Africa or whether it's West Virginia. There's a lot of similarities, by the way, folks. I understood that. God moved me to West Virginia. I'm not from West Virginia. I followed what God had. I didn't realize what he had, but he moved me all around and put me in West Virginia. Now, if he called me somewhere else, I'd, I'd follow because I know he has the best plan for me. I don't have a good plan for me. You can ask my wife. I don't have a good plan for anything. What are you willing? Are you willing to give up everything for the gospel message? Close your eyes and bow your heads. I know that's typical Baptist thing. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think back to that very first question I asked you about what you want out of the sermon. I want you to take a moment and, and think about what we've talked about. Don't worry about what you're doing after church. Don't worry if the, the food's you know, overcooked now and Pastor Aaron preached too long and now he's ruined lunch. Don't worry about it. I want you to worry about what God had today. See Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ, it's hard to replicate His love if you don't know Him. If you don't know him, be changed by Jesus. If you do know him, lead others through the change. Help others. There's people that you'll relate to that I'll never be able to relate to. There's people in your life that will listen to you and never listen to me, never listen to Pastor Bob, never listen to Pastor Wayne. They'll only listen to you. Young folks, I'm telling you right now, your friends will not listen to even Pastor Jeremiah. They'll listen to you. Especially if you show it's true in your life. Help them. And then you've got to be committed to follow immediately. And even if that means giving up everything. Father, this morning we thank you. We thank you that your word never returns void. The power of the word of God. Spoken this morning in form of worship. Father, help us put these, these steps together in our lives. Father, I pray for folks that don't know Jesus right now. That this morning that they heard and understood the gospel. That they can make a decision based on facts and, and the information that was relayed this morning. I pray for the, the normal church attender. That hopefully this stirred them up and changed them and changed their thought process. That, that tomorrow morning when they get up and go to work, that it will be different for them. That they will, they will be changed by the gospel message as well. And I pray for everybody in this room 
Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.